Thank you for joining us for episode 452 of Live Happy Now. Throughout the month of January, we've been sharing practices that can help you create habits to increase your well-being. And now, it's time for an adventure. I'm your host, Paula Phelps, and today I'm talking with Steve Taylor, a best-selling author and senior lecturer at Leeds Beckett University in England. Steve has devoted his life to investigating spiritual awakenings both for himself and for others. In his new book, The Adventure, Steve provides a roadmap to walk us all through the practices he's found most useful for helping us embark on our own awakening journey. Let's have a listen. Well, Steve, welcome to Live Happy Now. Hi, Paula. Great to be with you. I'm so excited to talk with you. You know, all throughout the month of January, we've been talking about new practices, things that people can do to really start the new year off with change. Not, you know, we we make resolutions, but those may or may not mean anything in February and after that. So what we're really talking about is practices that we can adopt and adapt into our lives. And and so your book, boy, when you talk about an awakening, that is just so incredible. Tell us a little bit about what you mean when you talk about a spiritual awakening. Awakening uh, means really expansion. It's like an expansion of awareness, an expansion of potential, an expansion of our inner being. And it's also about connection. It's about connecting to more deeply to ourselves, connecting more deeply to other people, and connecting more deeply to the world. In, in yeah, the world in general. Yeah, and what kind of change does it make when we connect more deeply with ourselves? How does that connect us then with other people? It brings a sense of well-being because most of the time we live at the surface of our minds. We live at the level of thought, and our identity our normal sense of identity is derived from our thoughts. And because our thoughts are so restless, because our thoughts often tend towards negativity, worrying about the future, feeling guilty or angry about the past, you know, if you live at the level four, it causes discord. It, it often leads to unhappiness. But when you expand your sense of identity, then you dive below the level of thoughts into your deeper being. It's like a, like a diver, you know, diving from the surface of the ocean into the depths of the ocean. And when you dive into the depths below the surface of, the, of your mind, you find that there is a, a natural harmony there. It just seems to be the nature of our deep being. It just seems to exist, exist in a natural state of contentment and ease. And, and of course, when you do that, you also free yourself from the, the worries of the mind, You know, the restlessness of the mind. You find a, a stillness. And at that point, too, you also find it easier to connect with other people because, you know, when our minds are filled with thought chatter, it creates a sense of separation. Thoughts, you know, they enclose us within our own identity. So as soon as we go beyond thought into our deeper beings, our being opens up and we find it easier to empathize with others. We find that we are naturally more altruistic to others because we feel more connected to them. That's incredible. You know, and I'll also point out that what you talked about, like the story of diving into an ocean, that's also you've got a great meditation that you start the book out with that is exactly that, like diving below the the turmoil of the surface of the ocean and getting down underneath. And I've got to say, I've been using that and it's a really effective meditation. So absolutely encourage anybody to check out the book and learn that meditation because it is really effective and it's very peaceful. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. So your book is called The Adventure, and you say that awakening is the greatest adventure that we can undertake as human beings. So can you explain why that is? 
it's natural for us. I think we are meant to awaken in our lives. You know, we're not meant to be enclosed. We're not meant to live within these restless minds, within this discord. Uh, that's not really our normal state. Well, it, it's our normal state because it's the, ex it's the state we experience most of the time. But I don't think it's our natural state. I think it is our natural state to live in well-being, to live in a more expansive, a more connected way. And it feels right. One of the great things about awakening is that once you begin the journey, it has its own momentum and you reap benefits almost straight away. You feel an increasing sense of stillness and ease and harmony in your life. So it's kind of self-perpetuating. That well-being, that harmony propels you, gives you further motivation to continue. And it just it seems so natural to grow. I think as human beings, we're meant to grow. We're meant to expand, just like all living beings grow in some form, physically at least. But I think human beings, we don't just grow physically. We grow psychologically and spiritually as well. So when we do that, it just feels so right and so natural. It feels exactly feels like exactly what we're meant to do. And this comes out at an interesting time because there is a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of concern about what is going on. So it seems like if there was ever a time when we needed this awakening, it would be now. Can you talk about the need for a collective spiritual awakening? As you say, we are living through a time of great turmoil. I think in a way that's always been the case. You know, human societies have always been full of conflict and full of oppression. Human beings have, throughout recorded history, we fought wars against each other. So there's always been conflict and chaos and discord. But now, because of the, the technology of the modern world and the interconnectedness of the modern world, it seems to be more intense than ever. It's happening on a, you know, a, a massive global scale. And I think all of the problems we face in the world are the direct result of what I call our normal sleep state. They are the direct result of our normal constricted discordant minds. But when we open up, when we expand our awareness, once we begin to feel some sense of inner harmony, then everything changes. Our own behavior changes, our relationship to others changes. You know, we become much more altruistic rather than materialistic and selfish. So we promote harmony in everything we do. So once you you have a, a large number of people living in that way, yeah, the whole of society changes. If a large enough number of people did begin to live in that way, then the whole world would change. You know, the world would shift from this state of discord into a mode of harmony, a mode of cooperation rather than competition. Uh, we would treat nature as being sacred and spiritual rather than exploiting nature. We would treat each other with respect rather than exploiting and mistrusting each other. The whole world would change. I do think that a collective awakening is the most urgent need of our time. And the world that you've described sounds very appealing, very much where we want to live. How do we as individuals, if we're having going on this individual spiritual awakening, how do we help that create a collective spiritual awakening? It happens naturally to some degree, because as I say, you know, once we undergo our own personal shift, it changes our behavior. But we also have a kind of, you've probably noticed it, if you've met people who are naturally content, who are naturally altruistic, you know, those people probably are people who've had a spiritual awakening, then these people have a kind of radiance about them. They change the mood around them. You walk into a room with one of these people in it, and, you know, you, you can sense the contentment around them. It's just in the same way as you walk into a room with a, a very aggressive or angry person, you can, you can sense the mood around them. So changes in terms of how we behave, and it changes in terms of 
the aura or the atmosphere that we generate around us. And it is kind of self-perpetuating. The more people who generate some degree of awakening within themselves, the greater the momentum of wakefulness will ultimately, maybe it will reach a threshold where it becomes human beings' normal state. I would love to see that happen. You really do walk us through how to reach this state of wakefulness. And eight of the things that you begin with, you talk about the qualities of wakefulness. Do you mind going over those a little bit? Explain what wakefulness means and why those qualities are so important. Great. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to do that. Wakefulness is, you could define it very simply as an expansion of identity with a sense of connectedness on many different levels. And I have a part-time role as a psychologist. I've been a psychologist for many years and, and I specialize in investigating cases of spiritual awakening in people. I've also been undergoing my own personal journey of awakening since I was a teenager. So that's quite a long time now. Basically, in my own experience and in my research, I've identified eight essential qualities which all awakened people demonstrate and which naturally arise through the process of awakening. First one is disidentification. That means a bit like I described earlier, that's when we step outside the thought mind and realize that we are not our thoughts. Then we have gratitude, which means developing an all-encompassing sense of appreciation for everything and everyone in our lives, including life itself. Then the third characteristic is presence, which basically means living in the moment, being aware of our experience and our surroundings, rather than living in the future or the past or within our own thoughts. Then altruism, giving to the world, which incorporates things like empathy, connectedness, being compassionate towards others, being generous and kind to all other human beings. Every spiritual tradition in the world, or every religious tradition, emphasizes the importance of kindness and, and altruism. Mm -hmm. And But altruism is also a spiritual quality in itself. You know, it's a spiritual practice in itself. So the fifth quality is acceptance, which means simply not resisting the reality of our lives, not resisting the reality of our predicament in life or our situations in life. Then we move on to integration with the body. And that's important because there's a slight tendency in some spiritual traditions, certainly in some religious traditions, to, to denigrate the body, to see the body as, a, as an enemy, or even mm -hmm. to suggest that the body is not really real. It's a kind of illusory thing. So it's, but it's very important to gain a sense of harmony with the body and to realize that the body is, is sacred and spiritual in itself. Then there is detachment, which means... That simply means not being dependent on it on external things for your identity and well-being. And finally, uh, the eighth quality is embracing mortality, which means being aware of our own mortality, accepting our own mortality, and living in harmony with the fact of our own mortality. Now, with those qualities, are those things that you need to learn and experience in the order that they're presented in the book and in the order that you just presented now? No, that's not really the case. There is one exception, which is disidentification from the ego. That is the, that is the kind of the gateway to spiritual awakening. You can't undergo spiritual awakening unless you go through that stage of disidentifying with your thought mind. Once you've done that, then any of the, the other seven characteristics can be practiced in any order. They're not really... You know, 
it may depend on your personality. Certain characteristics may be more important for you to develop. You may already have developed certain characteristics to some extent. So it will vary from person to person. The ability to to walk away from our thought mind for that disidentification is, it seems very difficult because we are all wrapped up in our thoughts every minute of the day. So yeah, can you talk true. about that a little bit? Like how you know, that seems like an ambitious and very big first step. Talk, but you make it pretty simple in the book. Can you talk about that? Like how how people go about doing that, taking that first step on the journey. You're right. It is the the first most important step, and it may seem difficult. But if you think about it, there are lots of times in our lives when we step beyond the thought mind, and they're usually the times when we are happiest. You know. For example, when you get absorbed in an enjoyable activity, if you're playing music or engaged in a creative activity, or even when you're socializing with friends, or even reading a, a really enthralling book or watching a really enthralling film, you you stop thinking, you step outside your thought mind, and an hour or two may pass by. And then, you know, the activity or the play or the film is over, and you think, oh, here I am again. It's me. I can start thinking again. But you you know that you've been in a state of well-being um, during those moments. And also, for example, if you walk in the countryside, you feel a sense of well-being. Um, you feel a sense of inner calm. You feel connected to your beautiful surroundings. And that's because your mind has become quiet. Maybe your mind isn't completely empty, but you're thinking less. And there are also certain moments when we, you know, we, we don't like what we're thinking. We we become aware of ourselves thinking a, a silly thought, and we say to ourselves, "No, oh, don't don't be so ridiculous." Think about a job interview or something, and think, "Oh no, I'm going to make a mess of it. It's going to be terrible." But then you think, "No, don't be ridiculous. It's going to be fine." Yeah. Well, so we do it from time to time. That is an example of disidentifying with your thought mind, and it's also the basic aim of meditation is to disidentify with your thought mind. All meditation practices teach us to do that. So it's a, it's a question of you know slowly developing an ability that we already have and you know cultivating it over maybe a few weeks maybe even a few months so that it becomes stronger and it's not something that is going to happen overnight that part it's it's going to take some practice yeah you, you can certainly glimpse it we all glimpse it from time to time anyway but you know and, and maybe once you glimpse once you glimpse it for the first time then you realize ah you know i am not my thoughts there is something else beyond or beneath my thoughts that's a really important moment. That that moment of realization encourages you to, you know, cultivate the state. It will usually take a few weeks or a few months for it to become stronger, for it to pick up momentum. So, as someone goes through this book, do you recommend that they read the entire book, or do they say like you do great, you have guidelines, so we know going into it? And I love how you present that. And like you know, if you're going to go on a journey, you need a map because you need to know where you're going and what yeah. what to expect, how to dress for this trip. And so you do a great job of setting that up. And then we get into that journey. Do we need to, say, take that first chapter on disidentification and and just stay with that until we feel we've mastered that? Or do we read the entire book and then come back and do the practices? How do you see that working for people? I'd like people to be flexible. As I said before, there are certain characteristics which are maybe more important to some people. Some people will know that they need to work on one particular characteristic, so they can turn to that chapter straight away. The chapters don't necessarily need to be read sequentially. Although all of the eight qualities are important, and I think they're all equally important, so they do all need to be cultivated, but you know, people should be flexible. 
it never really works when you're too prescriptive to people when you say to them do this sure. and stick to the plan you got to allow for some flexibility and some variations in people's personalities i love it so you know, here at live happy we talk about gratitude a lot and you know that is one of the qualities and the subtitle of that chapter is overcoming the taking for granted syndrome can you talk about right. what the taking for granted syndrome is and then tell us how we overcome it in my, in my view the taking for granted syndrome is probably the the biggest single issue with human beings the biggest single thing that stops us attaining happiness and it's basically the human tendency to take things for granted. It's so easy for us to take things for granted. Sometimes when something is taken away from us, we realize how valuable it is. Uh, a good example is your health. If your health becomes endangered, if you have a serious illness or an accident, you become aware of how valuable and how wonderful your body is and you know how miraculous the body is. But then your body heals again and you start to forget it again. You fall under the sway of the taking for granted syndrome. And it's the same with people. You know, you may fall in love with a person and they're the most wonderful person in the world for a few months and your life is much better with them. You feel happy, you feel harmony in your life. But after a certain amount of time, you start to take them for granted and, you know, they don't bring you as much happiness and your life is not so different the way it was before. So that happens in all areas of our lives. It happens with life itself. You know, if one of the things that happens when people are close to death in some way, if they have an accident or a life-threatening illness, they realize how miraculous and how fragile and how beautiful life itself is. They realize what an amazing gift it is to be alive, just to be alive. doesn't matter what's happening in your life, just life wow. itself. But again, you know, we tend to switch off to that. So one of the special characteristics of spiritually awakened people is that they're not affected by the taking for granted syndrome. They are always in a state of appreciation. They always... To some degree, they always appreciate the value of their health, the people in their lives, their freedom and prosperity and life itself. But yeah, it's a process, you know, it's a journey to transcend the taking for granted syndrome, but it can be done. I've developed exercises over a number of years. All of the exercises in the book have been kind of road tested at workshops over a number of years. They all are effective and that applies to the gratitude exercises too. So another thing that you talk about, it's near the end of the book, and I think this is so important. You talk about embracing our mortality. Mm. And this is a two-part question, because first I want to know how we do that, because that's something that's difficult. We don't really want to think about that a lot. <laughs> and then secondly, how does embracing our mortality help us become more awakened? It can be difficult. I mean, in psychology, there are three basic attitudes to death. Uh, they're sometimes called the three A's. One of them is avoidance, when we don't think about our death or our mortality. The second one is anxiety, when we do think about it occasionally, but when we feel uneasy. And the third one is acceptance, which is when we do contemplate our death and we accept the fact that we're going to die and we live life in the light of that. And the only attitude which brings any well-being is acceptance. And so the other two, if you avoid thinking about mortality or if you feel anxious about it, obviously that leads to discomfort. And many human beings do live you know, with those two attitudes to death, with in avoidance or anxiety. But when we do contemplate death seriously, when we face it in a direct way and we really acknowledge the fact that death is real, then we, sort of, we, we move beyond anxiety. We actually begin to sense the value of life and we begin to sense the preciousness of all of the things in our lives and 
the preciousness of the world, the precious beauty of the world. So that's one way in which being aware of death brings well-being. It makes us aware of, it takes us beyond the taking for granted syndrome. It's a really good way of transcending the taking for granted syndrome. And another thing is that death gives us motivation. You know, the fact that life is temporary, it gives us motivation to fulfill our ambitions, no longer to pro procrastinate. It makes us aware that we only have a limited amount of time. Life is fragile and temporary. It also makes us more present and it helps us to let go of attachments because, you know, being aware of mortality makes us aware that possessions are not important. You know, there's the old saying, you can't take it with you. But possessions are meaningless because, you know, sooner or later, they're going to be taken away from us. To some extent, even achievements and even success is, you know, can be considered meaningless because it's going to be taken away. But what's really important and what's real is being here now in this present moment. So death helps us to be aware of that. You know, you've given us so many ways to awaken. You've given us so many practices. You also have an online course that, that people can take. What is it that you really hope to accomplish with this book? It's not your first book. You've written several bestsellers. What is it about this one that you really hope every reader takes away from? This book is it's quite special to me because it's my first really practical book. You know, I've written a few books in the mode of psychologist, you know, analyzing and describing people's experiences, even describing my own experiences. But this is the first book where I, you know, I offer a guidebook, a handbook of spiritual awakening. On the one hand, I hope that people realize that awakening or enlightenment is not something unattainable or inaccessible. You know, some people think that it's only it's only monks or mystics or people who've been meditating for decades who can become awakened. You know, it's open to all of us. It's our most natural, authentic state. So it's in us already. It's really just a question of uncovering what's already in us. So I hope people realize that it is accessible. And although, you know, you have to apply yourself, you have to stick to certain practices, you have to have a certain degree of discipline and motivation. But it's not difficult. You know, once you get started, as I said before, it has its own momentum. It becomes self-perpetuating. So in some ways, it becomes easier as you do it. The path of awakening has its own momentum that carries you towards the goal. But ultimately, even, even beyond that, I want to promote harmony because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I do believe that the world is in such a chaotic, you know, such a state of suffering because of our normal limited sleep awareness. So I think really the only way in which we can begin to live in harmony on this planet is for more people to move towards awakening. I would agree with you. And you've given us a great roadmap to do that. And and I thank you for writing it. And I thank you for coming on the show and talking about it. Thank you, Paul. It's been really enjoyable. That was Steve Taylor talking about how to begin your own spiritual awakening. To learn more about Steve and his book, The Adventure, A Practical Guide to Spiritual Awakening, or follow him on social media or visit his website, just go to livehappy.com and click on the podcast tab. That is all we have time for today. We'll meet you back here again next week for an all new episode. And until then, this is Paula Phelps reminding you to make every day a happy one. Mm -hmm.